invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll start reading in verse 6 and read through verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Our text today is mainly 10 through 12. But let's read this passage this morning. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would continue to help us to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. This great salvation which you have worked out. That you have given to us as a gift. That you have caused us by your grace and by your Holy Spirit to know and to believe, and to live in, and to have a hope in. So, Father, we just pray that once again you would use your word this morning, that it would accomplish your purposes, and that it would cause us to glorify your great and holy name. Give us ears to hear, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to title this message this morning, A Precious Salvation. A precious salvation. And just by way of introduction, we're just going to review so that we get the context of our passage this morning. First of all, we remember that Peter is writing to those believers who have been scattered abroad, who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ, and are living in the midst of a pagan culture. So that's who he's writing this letter to, trying to encourage these Persecuted Christians, these, these Christians that are having to live a godly life in the midst of an ungodly culture. He first reminds them of their true identity. They are elect pilgrims. They are chosen strangers as they live out their life in this world. You are a chosen stranger in this world. That is your identity. The basis of their hope and joy is not in their earthly identity, but rather in their spiritual identity. The basis of their hope is in the work of the triune God. They have been chosen by God, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and set apart as holy for obedience by the Holy Spirit. Peter encourages them to rejoice in what God has done in them and what he has secured for them through the new birth. They have a living hope that is based on the mercy of God, 
secured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This has secured for them an eternal inheritance for which God is both keeping for them and keeping them for. Peter then reminds them of why they can still have joy even in the midst of their suffering for Christ. God has a purpose in their suffering. He reminds them that suffering is for a season, suffering is for their sanctification, and that ultimately suffering is leading to their salvation. Their faith is what is most precious to God, and he is using their suffering to perfect their faith and to glorify himself. Peter now encourages them to realize the preciousness of their salvation by reminding them how the prophets were seeking out this salvation and that Jesus Christ was revealing to the prophets this salvation and that now this salvation has come and is being preached unto them through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and that even angels, even spiritual beings that we cannot see are desiring to look in to this salvation. So our proposition this morning is that God wants you to realize the preciousness of your salvation. God wants you to realize the preciousness of your salvation and that no amount of persecution or suffering can take that away from you. No amount of suffering, no amount of persecution will ever be able to take away from you and I the preciousness of our salvation because it has been given to us by God. It has been purchased by God. It is being kept by God. And God will complete this salvation in you until the day of Jesus Christ, ultimately leading to your complete and whole salvation. So today, this morning, we'll have five reasons why your salvation is precious, taken right from the text. Five reasons why your salvation is precious. I'll just go ahead and give them to you. The prophets pointed to this salvation, number one. Number two, grace is the means of this salvation. Number three, Jesus is the focus of this salvation. Number four, the gospel is the declaration of this salvation. And then lastly, the angels are beholding this salvation. There's a lot of reasons for you to have joy in your salvation, even in the midst of suffering. So number one, he says, the reason why we can rejoice in this salvation, even in the midst of suffering, is because... We're not alone in rejoicing in this salvation. He says, number one, the prophets pointed to this salvation. All of the Old Testament pointed to this salvation. Right? We believe that. All of the Old Testament was pointing to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Redeemer. He says, of which salvation. Right? In verse 9. I mean, in verse uh, 10. Of which salvation. And that points back to what he said in verse 9. This this salvation, which is the goal or the aim or the end of your faith. You will receive this salvation, which is the end of your faith. The salvation that in verse 8, he said, will be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what's awaiting you and I who are in Christ is that because of what he has done in you, 
There's going to be a day where you stand before him and everyone else is going to glorify and praise and honor him what he has done in you. That's going to be a glorious day. We're looking forward to that day. This salvation, which in verse 6, he says, is ready to be revealed in the last time. God has secured your salvation. He's keeping this for you. He's keeping your eternal inheritance for you. And Jeremy, he's just ready and waiting to give it to you. The full, the full manifestation of your inheritance, of your salvation, he is ready. It's ready to be revealed in the last time. The salvation, which in verse 2, you were chosen for, Christ redeemed you by his blood for, and the Holy Spirit sets you apart for this salvation. And this salvation, which in verse 3, gives you a living hope so that while you live here in this world, awaiting the full manifestation of your salvation, you have a hope that is lively. You have a living hope that sustains you and keeps you as you live out the rest of your days. And in verse 4, this salvation will give you an eternal inheritance that will never fade away and can never be corrupted. Reserved, reserved in heaven for you. No one can touch it because it's in the hand of Almighty God. This salvation, the prophets, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. You know, we see that in reading through the Old Testament. We see that from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, that God is the first one who prophesies of his son that he's going to sin. He said, I will send one from the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. Satan will be defeated. Death will be defeated. Sin will be defeated. Because of this one who is to come, who we're always going to be looking for, looking for and pointing to. They, they gave great diligence to this. They, they searched, they inquired, they gave all their effort to, to investigate this coming of the Redeemer. And each generation talked about when will the Messiah come? When will the Redeemer come? Is now the time? They were just always looking forward to it. And so when Christ came, it was a great, it, there was a great excitement and joy because each generation had wanted to see the, the Christ, the Messiah. But the prophets, they were just pointing to it. The same word, the same Greek word inquired in our text is the same one that we find in Romans chapter 3 verse 11 that says, There is none that understands and there is none that seeks after God. Same word, seek. They were seeking after the Redeemer, the Messiah. Same word again is used in Hebrews eleven six, where it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Same word. So the prophets were diligently seeking the Redeemer, the Messiah, the one to come. And then he would use that same word, searching diligently, which this is the only time this Greek word is used in the whole New Testament. To search diligently, to inquire after, to explore. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 17. And this pretty much sums it up. 
For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men and women have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. The prophets, the Old Testament saints, the men and women of old, they longed and desired to see the Messiah and to hear the Messiah. But they didn't get to see him. They just pointed to him. And they anticipated his coming. But he says, blessed are you if you have seen him and you have heard him. And blessed are you today because you have seen the Messiah and you have, you have his words that you get to hear the words of Jesus Christ. And you have been drawn to him by the Holy Spirit and you have been given eyes of faith to see him. Blessed are you because the prophets searched diligently and inquired of this one who was to come. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently or carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. We know that prophecy just means to foretell events or to speak under inspiration. We first saw the promise of the Messiah in Genesis 3.15, which we already talked about. Jacob Jacob uh, prophesied in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. Jesus Christ is Shiloh. Jesus Christ is our peace. Until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That's what he's been doing ever since he came. Gathering his sheep, gathering his people in, building up the kingdom of God. And it is spreading and overtaking the world. Daniel prophesied of this in Daniel 2.44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. That's what Daniel pointed to. This unbreakable kingdom who has an unbreakable king. Haggai prophesied in Haggai chapter 2 verse 7. And I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, pointing to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that he would set up and that you are a part of still here today. Brothers and sisters, realize the preciousness of your salvation by seeing that all the prophets and all the Old Testament saints were pointing to this salvation. Number two, rejoice that grace is the means of your salvation. Grace is the means of your salvation. He makes sure to make that point that this salvation, which they were inquiring and searching diligently for, and that they prophesied about, he says was of the grace that should or would come to you. So in speaking about salvation, he uses the word grace because that was precious to Peter. It was precious to the Old Testament and New Testament saints that they were saved not, not by their own works, but they were saved by the grace of God. Saved by the grace of God. 
And so you should be rejoicing that your salvation is precious, not because you earned it, not because you secured it, not because you decided to be saved, but that God chose you, that God determined to save you, and that he saved you by his grace. And our best definition of grace is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Oh, grace is that God shined his love into your heart. And then that love is seen bursting forth out of your life. It has to break sin's walls. It has to break sin's barriers. But it does. The light of Christ shined through through his grace. In Luke 1.30, it's translated favor. We're talking about the favor that God had upon Mary, the favor that God had upon Zechariah, the favor that God had upon the, the, uh, the new, the Peter, James, Andrew, and John, and the, and, the, and the disciples, and the favor that He has shown to you that He chose you out of all the people of the world to be saved from your sins and to give you an eternal home. In Luke 6.33, it's actually translated, Thank. Thank. There's this idea of grace that it produces within you thankfulness because you don't deserve God's favor. You don't deserve God's love, but you're thankful that he has set his love upon you and he has called you out even though you weren't seeking him. And then I love this in Acts 25, 9, it's translated pleasure, pleasure. Peter thought that the salvation was precious Because it pleased him. The grace of God is pleasurable. How could God love you? How could God love me? Who are such vile, unworthy wretches. Because he chose to. And because it pleased him. And because it glorifies him. Paul says in that great text in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here's your inheritance that's with Christ and you're connected with it through Christ. You're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. He, he just shows his grace. He reveals it to you. His grace is what's, what saves you and sustains you throughout life. And in the ages to come, it's just going to be a continual manifestation of his grace. That he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Peter says, our salvation, your salvation is precious, not because of your works and that you deserved it or earned it, but because, in fact, you were going to be, you were going to go contrary to that. And what you deserved was wrath and justice and eternity in hell. But instead, God saved you from that. And he saved you for heaven. And that is grace. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Realize the preciousness of your salvation this morning because the means of it 
are the grace of God, through the love of God, through His Son, Jesus Christ. Thirdly, another reason for joy in the salvation and its preciousness is that Jesus is the focus of this salvation. Right? It wasn't just some general salvation. Oh, God's just going to save His people. God, God's just going to, just somehow He's going to do it and we hope that we're a part of it. No, we know that Jesus was the focus of the Old Testament prophets. And in fact, in fact, this is interesting what Peter says here is that it was Jesus Christ himself and his spirit that was testifying to the prophets concerning the things about himself. So Jesus was the focus of the Old Testament saints and their message. Jesus was the focus obviously when he came as the humble king and sacrificed himself on our behalf. And Jesus remains to be the focus of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ until he returns again. And when Jesus returns again, he will be the center of all things. He is the tree of life. He is the tree of life that will flow to each and every one of us and sustain us for all eternity. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it tested beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So they were, they, it had been revealed to them that the Messiah would come. They didn't know exactly when. They didn't know exactly who it would be. But they were given many clues. They were given many evidences. And they were certainly given revelation of the things that he would do. The things that he would suffer. And the glories that would follow. When it says that they were uh, searching what or what manner of time. Time, when it's used in this way, it's talking about a season. It's talking about an occasion, a set or proper time. They didn't want to know what day and what hour it was. They wanted to know the season. They wanted to know the occasion. And the New Testament tells us that at the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came. The fullness of time. That means that there could be no more time available that before the Messiah would come. The fullness of uh, the overflowing of the season had come, and he came in the he came in that fullness of time. So they were seeking this time out, and the subject matter of their seeking was Jesus Christ Himself, the things that He would suffer, and the glories that would follow. Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew sixteen three, "O oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky." But ye cannot discern the signs of the times. In other words, you can tell me whether it's going to rain tomorrow by looking at the sky. Is it a red sky at night? Is it a red sky in the morning? But you, you have missed that the Messiah is standing right in front of you. The time that the prophets were searching after. What manner of time and, and, and when it was going to be. It's here. I'm standing in front of you. And you're missing it. You're hypocrites. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 41, they say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard and other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Seasons, same word as time in our text. So this has to do with a season. Signify, it means to make plain by words, to declare or to show 
They were testifying beforehand. That means they were being a witness in advance. We have many witnesses that prophesied and pointed to the coming of Jesus Christ. They actually predicted things that he would suffer. They predicted things that he would say. They predicted where he would be born, where he would grow up, what kind of death he would, he would die, and that he would be raised from the dead. All these things were predicted about Jesus Christ. And Jesus would say to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus was the focus of the message of the Old Testament. Jesus is the focus of the message of the New Testament. It is a unified theme throughout from beginning to end. It is all about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's why Paul would say, I don't boast in anything save in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it is the central, most important message and truth that we can believe in. Second, in 2 Peter In chapter 1, verse 21, Peter would say, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit was speaking through these men. He was inspiring them. And they were writing down and they were declaring and they were proclaiming this message That Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ, revealed to them about himself. And so David would say in the Old Testament, The Lord has said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That was revealed to David by Jesus Christ himself. They were testifying before him. We have such a great cloud of witnesses The Spirit of Christ. The same Spirit of Christ that's in you. The same Spirit of Christ that leads the church. The same Spirit of Christ that has been filling the world ever since He set up His kingdom is the same Spirit that was in the Old Testament. The Spirit of Christ. And so Paul would say in Romans 8 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. See what Paul does there? The Spirit. You are born again by the Spirit. The Spirit of God. Probably referring to God the Father. And then then he says the Spirit of Christ. Here's the Trinity. And then in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Oh, the Spirit of Christ. It is what makes our salvation so precious because it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. A person, a king, is in you. He's with you every second of every day. He's with you in every decision that you make. 
He's with you as you work. He's with you as you teach. He's with you as you parent. He's with you as you are growing your friendships. Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ, is with you. That's what's so precious about salvation. And that's why we can have joy in the midst of suffering, because He's with us in our suffering. He's holding our hand. He's molding and shaping us as a potter molds and shapes the clay so that we will be a more glorious image for Him. There's so many Old Testament prophecies that we could go to. Psalm 22 is, gives us vivid and clear descriptions of the sufferings that Christ would say and even some of the things that He would say. Psalm 69 does the same. Psalm 88 does the same. Isaiah 53, we know, is the clearest Old Testament passage that talks to us about the sufferings of the Holy One. And so Jesus is the focus of your salvation. Realize the preciousness of your salvation because the focus is not upon you. It's not upon me. It's not upon the church. The focus of your salvation is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that should give you great joy because He is altogether lovely and He is successful and He will complete the salvation which He has begun in you until the day of Christ. Number four, another reason why this salvation is precious and you can joy in it even in the midst of suffering is that the gospel is the declaration of this salvation. The gospel is the declaration of this salvation. Verse 12 says, Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister these things, which now, which are now, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you. He says, we're not just believing a message which was preached a long time ago and saying that's wonderful. Where they, they, they pointed to a Messiah. He's saying... The same message which they were pointing to you has been preached to you now. This salvation has come. The good news has been proclaimed. The Messiah is Jesus Christ. He came. We saw Him. We touched Him. We handled the word of life. He was put to death, but He rose again from the dead and He ascended to heaven. This is the gospel message which they says has been preached unto you. And this is so important what he says. This gospel has been preached unto you with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Spirit, which was sent to you, which was sent down from heaven. Remember what Jesus said he was going to do after he departed? He said, look, I'm going to leave this world. I'm going to go back to the Father. And you can't come with me to the Father yet. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Peter's writing about that, your inter eternal inheritance. But he says, this, this is what I will do. I will send another to you. I will send a comforter. I will send the paraclete. I will send one who comes along beside you and walks with you, just as I have walked with you all of these days and all of these years. I'm going to leave, but the Spirit of Christ, my Spirit, will be sent to you. And the gospel is preached the gospel is proclaimed. The, the gospel is the declaration of what Jesus Christ has done. And it's through His Spirit. 
It's proclaimed through His Spirit. It's received through His Spirit. It has power through His Spirit. Sent down from heaven. The gospel is a heavenly message. It's a message from heaven. It's the living bread as the manna that came down from heaven in the Old Testament to feed the Old Testament saints. The gospel is the manna that comes down from heaven because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The gospel that is declared to you each and every week is the bread from heaven that will fill your hungry soul. And it does. It, it fulfills us. It fills us and it fulfills all things. It was revealed. Apocalypto, which we get apocalyptic from, means to take off the cover. The, the cover was taken off. It had been, it had been veiled. But Jesus came and he blew the cover off and he revealed himself to those whom he had chosen. And they saw him for who he was. And they were given glimpses of his glory. Like on the Mount of Transfiguration. The cover was lifted off for a little while and they beheld his Shekinah glory. And this message, this truth is declared to you. It's preached to you. And you have believed it. You have received it. You, you are walking in it. It is sustaining you. Isaiah said, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who's going to believe this message? Those whom God has chosen. Those whom the Holy Spirit opens their eyes and gives them the gift of faith. These are those that will believe the report. And to whom the arm of the Lord will be revealed. Daniel said in Daniel 2.19, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. What happened to you when God began this good work in you? When He opened up your eyes and He gave you the gift of faith? What, what proceeded forth from you? Blessing! Blessing the Lord! You have saved me! You have forgiven me! You have washed all my sins away! Oh, I just want to live all my days for you. He blessed the God of heaven. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he under, understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. The time of Christ was revealed to Daniel. He understood the gospel message. It wasn't going to come in his time, but he knew it was going to come, and he prophesied about it. They ministered to us. They waited and they served on us. And this is where the idea of the word deacon comes from. It means to serve or to wait upon. The prophets were like the deacons of the Old Testament, ministering to us the, the gospel message, preparing us to receive it. Daniel says in Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. This is the gospel message. To bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. And Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfect life he was completely obedient to the law of God. He did everything that his father had 
asked him to do. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So that every knee in heaven and in earth and under the earth should bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so when Jesus came and he revealed himself to those whom he had chosen, they began to preach this good news. Luke 9 verse 6 says, And they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Mark 16 verse 15, Jesus commanded the apostles, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. To every person. And then we find them doing that in Acts chapter 8 verse 25. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Oh, how shameful. Oh, how scandalous. The apostles going to Samaria, to Samaria and preaching the gospel to every man, woman, and child. And those that received it, those that believe it, were added to the church, such as were being saved. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed, believed the gospel, received the gospel, heard the gospel, embraced the gospel, submitted to the gospel. And so then Paul, in his wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15 says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand firm. He says the gospel was preached, you received it, and you're standing firm in the gospel. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried according to the scriptures. And that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen of Peter. And he was seen of John. And he was seen of the other disciples. And he was seen of above 500 people at once. Who are still alive in the day that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians. He says we have overwhelming testimony that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that he ascended. We saw him ascend to heaven. And the angel said, what are you looking at? The same Jesus whom you saw ascend into heaven will descend again in like manner. So we need to realize the preciousness of our salvation by believing and rejoicing in the good news that has been preached. And then lastly, this is beautiful what Peter says here. And it's, it's, it's amazing to think about. Number five, our salvation is precious, should be precious to us, because the angels themselves are looking into these things. They're looking into this salvation. The word uh, looking in to here that it says in our verse, it means to desire. It means that their heart is set upon it. They long for this. It even has the idea of godly lust. It means to bend beside, to lean over, to stoop down. Remember when, when 
Peter or John went into the tomb and it says that they stooped down to look into the grave. Same word that's used in our text when it says that the angels desire to look into. They stoop down. We can't see them. They're invisible, but they're here in our midst and they're stooping down, peering, peering in, peering behind the curtain. What is this great salvation? This rejoicing in this great salvation. Trying to understand it more and more. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The gospel, when it's being preached, it's being preached unto you, but the angels are listening and the angels are rejoicing. Paul would tell Timothy, talking about Jesus Christ, he says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Luke chapter 15 verse 10 says, Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. They love it. They love it when God touches a sinner by His grace. And they see this one that was walking in darkness. They see this one that was a slave of sin. And they see them changed. And now they're a slave of Christ. And they submit themselves to Him. It is beautiful to them. Because that's what they are. They are the ministers. They are the slaves of Christ. And here they say, here's a created being. Here's a human being. Who now becomes a slave of Christ. A minister of Christ. And they rejoice. And also we know that God also rejoices. Jesus Christ rejoices when we repent. And then writer of, writer of Hebrews says, you know, we don't know when angels are in our midst. We don't even know when an angel is disguised maybe as another human being. And so he says, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Something amazing. There's something mysterious about this salvation that even... even Beings which we cannot imagine how, how amazing and glorious that they are. That they are peering in to the salvation that's in your heart and in your life. So those are just a few of the reasons why Paul gives that you should rejoice in the preciousness of your salvation. God wants you to realize the preciousness of your salvation by reminding you how the prophets were seeking out the salvation. That Jesus Christ was revealing to the prospects a prophet's aspects of the salvation and that now this salvation has been preached unto you in the gospel of Jesus Christ and that even angels desire to behold this salvation. And so he wants you to rejoice even in the midst of your suffering. He wants you to rejoice in the preciousness of your faith and in the preciousness of your salvation. He wants you to hold and cling to that even in the midst of your suffering. And no amount of suffering, no amount of persecution will ever be able to take that away from you and I. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to be persecuted. But it's necessary. And so we say that if it's necessary, help us to submit to it. 
but help us to still have joy even in the midst of it. Second Peter 1 verse 4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that, you might, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. One last passage, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, brothers and sisters this morning, therefore, in light of all this, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. This is the battle. This is the daily battle. We believe in the preciousness of salvation. We believe in all these things that we've talked about. But let us hold fast to them, lest they slip. Because Satan's coming after us. Our flesh is weak. Sin is going to try to reign in our mortal body that we should obey the lust thereof. For if the word spoken by the angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How can you neglect this? How can I neglect this? Only because we're sinners. Only because we're weak. Only because we're in the flesh. But praise be to his name that we're kept by the power of God through faith. Through faith. He's given us this gift that keeps us. That gets us back up even when we fall. Which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. And then lastly, I want to quote from one of the writers of the Puritans. He said, In these verses is contained the last reason of the joy and constancy of believers under their sufferings. The sum whereof is that all the prophets and apostles Yea, the very angels of heaven are co-disciples and fellow students of this way of salvation, which the gospel holds forth. And therefore, it is worthy to be rejoiced in, even under suffering for it. God wants you to have joy. He wants you to have joy. Be filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because of this great salvation that he has given you as a gift. And I want us to sing hymn number 281. And I want to read that as you're turning there and as we prepare to sing that. And there's a, there's a last verse to the song that's not in our hymn books. I wish it was in there. Salvation, O melodious sound, to wretched dying men. Salvation that from God proceeds and leads to God again. Rescued from hell's eternal gloom, from fiends, from fires and chains, raised to a paradise of bliss, where love triumphant reigns. But may a poor, bewildered soul, sinful and weak as mine, presume to raise a trembling eye to blessings so divine. The luster of so bright a bliss, my feeble heart forbears, but unbelief almost perverts. The promise into tears. I don't like the way that ends. But that's not the way it ends. <laughs> this is the last verse. My Savior God, no voice but thine, these dying hopes can raise. Speak, 
thy salvation to my soul and turn my prayer to praise. So what I'd like us to do is just sing the first verse again as the last verse. Salvation, O melodious sound, to wretched dying men. Salvation that from God proceeds and leads to God again. Oh, what a precious salvation that we have.